0: You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children.
1: Hello, welcome Izzy to the podcast. Thanks Alex for having me. I am really excited to chat to you today about everything to do with vaginal health, both before and after pregnancy or after birth. It is a topic that's probably not spoken about enough. It definitely isn't really hitting mainstream media at all. And so a lot of the questions and topics are things that people want to know the answers to, but maybe are too nervous to chat about. Um, So that's why I've got you on here as a women's health physio to dive into this a little bit more for us. Um, But before we start, can you please um, let us know a bit about you and what you do?
0: Okay. Well, um, so first and foremost, I'm a physiotherapist. So, um, and then I've done extra education at Curtin doing my master's in pelvic health and continence physiotherapy. So like the history of me and how I got into this is from a extremely early age at school, I've always been super, super, super interested in pubes and boobs and periods and puberty and anything like that with my friends I was like oh my god you got your period that's sick like what are you using using tampon they look fun and then that sort has just carried on carried on throughout my life of just loving secrets and um not gossiping loving secrets and um in physio my first job was in Kalgoorlie at a private practice and I just found that no matter what area of the body I was treating, some women would just love to open up to me about how it, you know, they've got a sore knee and, oh, it actually hurts when I have sex, not just my knee but also in my vagina or oh. I've got a sore back. I don't do exercise and some people will go, oh, okay. And then I was like, but why don't you do exercise? Like, oh, I just don't really like it. I'm like, okay, is it sore? But some – and then they'll be like, actually, I just – completely piss myself every time I walk or I feel this heaviness between my legs so I was talking to a few of the physios there and they're like you should really go into women's health you've obviously just got a personality and a vibe of just allowing women to chat about anything so I did a few post-grad courses that went for a week or a couple of weekends and just like fell in love with it, so that's what started me doing the masters at Curtin, which I'm still doing now. I've just got two units to go before that's all finished. Um, yeah, so that's that's a bit about me. And now I'm currently in Adelaide doing one of my clinics, and because my fiance is studying winemaking here, but moving back to warm up in August. So that would be good. So I'll be back there working at Latitude.
1: That's exciting. We definitely want to get you back here because you are a little treasure for us down here in the Southwest and women need you here. Um, Just interestingly, why do you think you have, why you've got that personality? Is it to do with your upbringing or um, were you always like a family with lots of girls or um, just really allowed to speak your thoughts?
0: Well, that's really interesting. Like, it's not like we were, we're obviously a very open family, but it's not like we're like wildly sex positive and my mum's buying me a vibrator or something. But, you know, it starts with my great granny only ever wanted to see films that had wild sex scenes in it. And then my grandma's just was always very open about like, just anything women's health related and then when I got my period my mum wanted to do a period party so I think it was just a lot of like expressing like the female body was in our family and like complete comfort and I did have a sister but I went to an all-girls school I
1: but I also have a brother and
0: didn't really make much difference we just very open I guess
1: (laughs) I love that so our conversation today is really going to be about women, um, getting checked, um, or having a vaginal assessment after giving birth. And from some of the studies I was looking at, it looked at, like the rate was about one in five women actually go in and actually have a chat about, um, their vaginal health or their pelvic floor after having a baby, um, how common is it for a woman to actually have something like a prolapse happen after giving birth?
0: Well, yeah, so it's a bit of a tricky question. In some European countries like France and Belgium, I only know Belgium because my sister in laws there and they had a baby last year, but it's within their health system that once you've had a baby, you get between six or 12 funded um, pelvic health assessments from a physio where they're really trying to change that in Australia. There's lots of women that are advocating for that now within physio um, because at the moment it's completely out of the woman's expense. But so I think um, the reason why there's that lack of getting an exam after having birth comes from a financial reason. But why it's really important is, as you said, prolapse is quite a high risk after birth as any form of incontinence and fear of returning to any sexual activity or exercise activity. So um, what it entails would be a, at your six-week follow-up, Um, You usually go to your doctor and they'll probably say like, oh, how's everything going down there? And if you didn't have a very traumatic birth, you might not even get a vaginal assessment there. And in the Southwest, they're very pro pelvic health physios. So usually they'll then send to one of us. And um, if the woman comes, I'll educate them in what the assessment is. And um, it is uh, a vaginal assessment. So I usually assess... Visually, what the vulva, the vagina, and the introitus will look like, and if there's any um, tearing or any redness, and then from there, ask if it's okay to do a palpatory exam. So assess the sensitivity of the outside of the opening of the vagina, and then go internally and assess the strength and the tone and the pain of all the individual muscles. And then from there, I can do a prolapse assessment. So um, prolapse. Is just the descent of the pelvic organ onto the vaginal wall. So you'll have like the anterior wall prolapse, which is the bladder that's pushing on the front wall of the vagina that will then push through, or the posterior wall prolapse, which is the rectum pushing onto the back wall of the vagina, or uterine prolapse, which is just the uterus falling down. Um, and there are different grades. So grade one means it's gone from its original position, but it's still from a centimetre and a half up in the vagina. So it's de- it's not at the entrance and it's not coming out. And then a grade two is a centimetre and a half inside to a centimetre and a half outside. And three is a centimetre and a half to three centimetres outside. And four is usually the whole organ that's come out, which does not happen straight after birth and is pretty rare. And usually by that stage, you know something's going wrong you're probably to a gynaecologist. But... Um, Why it's really important is prolapse doesn't really happen completely after birth, but having a vaginal birth increases your prolapse substantially for later on in life. So birth is where you get the injuries of um, the pelvic floor or the fascia that holds the pelvic organs up. So as I said, so yeah, pelvic organs have support from above, from the fascia and below, which is the floor. So if you think about prolapse like you're in a small room with four walls and a ceiling and let's say at each corner of the walls you've got a rope and that rope's connected to a ball so the ball's suspended in the air by the ropes that's attached to the corners of the wall and ceiling so if you go up above that ceiling and you drop something heavy on that ball it might bounce a little bit but it will come back up because those ropes are still holding it up but depending on the weight and how much force you're throwing that object let's say you've now thrown a huge grand piano on that ball it's going to fall down and maybe that force will tear one of the ropes so now it's sitting a little bit down lower so that grand piano is equivalent to having a vaginal birth so you can say and then as well the force of that if you've had a really really long hard birth and you're pushing for hours and hours that's like a few pianos being thrown at that. So those poor women that are like usually induced and just there forever and then that induction is so painful so then they have a epidural so they're on their back and they're just pushing, pushing, pushing. There's a much higher risk that with an um, epidural birth you're going to sustain a, what we call an obstetric injury but mainly because you have to have it on your back and you're pushing. Um, so and then the second are the women that are just like, it was wild and it was fast. So that's just like a huge, ginormous piano out of nowhere just being thrown at that ball (laughs) and those ropes have no idea it's happening, and they're like, ah, and then they break. And that's because like all the structures in that birthing canal haven't had that time just to like soften and open and stretch with it. So Usually with those births is when you get injury to the pelvic floor with the underneath support as well as the above. But, yeah, the, the, the fascial ones, they're really bad with those long, 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 forceful second stage of birth of the pushing. Um, so in our assessment, we will see, like, where, where you're feeling that sort of laxity, so that stretch with a cough or a push, 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 I'll be inside and I'll say I want you to push down and I can sometimes feel on the top of my hand like pressure coming down and then I might support the top and I'll say push 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 or I could feel something moving for underneath so I know that's the posterior wall coming in or the anterior wall coming in and um, but also what I can assess for is the muscles down near the front of the vaginal opening and you can feel where they connect onto the pubic bone and if they during birth have like stretched and thinned out quite a bit so then there's a bigger hole for any sort of organ to fall through so that's really like the pelvic floor structure that's holding it up so with that information I can be like look you know you've got a little bit of a drop of the pelvic organs but nothing that's huge it's not coming out but you do have this thinning of the pelvic floor muscles at the front of the opening Plus you don't have like a lot of endurance or a lot of strength. So you'll be fine now, but if we don't rehab this now and get it back to like a nice strong position and well-coordinated and everything, then later in life you might just be, you know, doing a big cough while doing a squat and that's the straw that broke the camel's back that just gives you that symptom of prolapse.
1: Because I, in the pharmacy, get um, a lot of menopausal women um, or, you know, 50 or 60 up, um, it's usually actually more like 60 and above coming in and saying, you know, they're having issues either with, um, prolapse and incontinence. And I suppose, um, we are trying to build the conversation around it now, but back then they probably didn't have these conversations going on and weren't getting these assessments is it possible for a woman to feel for themselves after um, birth if there's a prolapse or do they really, is it better to have an expert really checking it out?
0: No. So that's a really interesting question that you bring up because um, uh, it's like a fine line to what a prolapse is at the moment. So biologically, the prolapse is just a descent of the pelvic organs. However, there are, you don't know that a lot of women don't know that they actually have descent until they get assessed. So I think there was a study done on 22 um, year olds in America that were nulliparous, which means they haven't had kids. And 50% of them had a grade one or grade two anterior wall prolapse. So you think like, they haven't had a baby, why not? But it's just any excessive force. So and if they're hypermobile as well, they've got more stretchy ligaments and maybe they've done competitive gymnastics in their time, so that's been a lot of pressure going down. However, to then go tell them, like, oh, you've got a prolapse, we'll just be like, What? Oh my god, they freak out. And they may never do any sort of high intensity interval training again or box jumps again. And that's more detrimental, I believe, for their health than ever. So um prolapse i believe should only be diagnosed if it's also concurrent with symptoms of prolapse and symptoms to monitor are like if you're having difficulty emptying your bowels because you know you might feel that there's pressure of wanting to do a poo but then it doesn't matter it's just not coming out and that might be because that little bit of prolapse into the back wall of the vagina has caught a bit of the stool so it's like in a little pocket so that's one of the symptoms. Another symptoms, obviously, is incontinence So, or inability to completely empty your bladder because the some of the bladder's kind of tipped into the front wall of the vagina and has built like a little reservoir of wee while you can empty the rest, but this little bit stays. So then when you stand up, you might then have a big sneeze or go to a gym class and think that you fine, you've emptied, but there's still a little bit of wee left in the bladder and that control of, Muscles that then grip around the urethra aren't as strong, and then thirdly, would just be that feeling of heaviness or discomfort, or even just seeing that there is a bulge between your legs, just like a little balloon. Um, that's pretty much the most common one that women have, and it's like it's just uncomfortable. Or when they sit down, it just feels-I mean, you've sat down on your bum forever, and then you sit down, there's something there you know that that's, that's got to be something wrong. But what you brought up earlier um, about the women in menopause is really interesting because what happens is with menopause is we lose estrogen. So And your vagina and your urethra are estrogen-receptive tissues. So they require estrogen, they grab onto it, and it keeps them plump and moist and thick and strong. And when we start to lose estrogen... Um, they start to atrophy go thin and go a bit pale and very dry so a big symptom of menopause as well is this like discomfort with sex and the dry vagina but postnatally we also lose estrogen because that's how we can breastfeed so um, a lot of the time as well I get a lot of very stressed out new mums that think they've got prolapse because it's very uncomfortable and when they sit down they feel it. But actually when I've done the assessment, they don't at all and it's just really red and raw around the outside of their vagina because they're breastfeeding and they've lost all the estrogen. So just giving them a little estrogen locally is great or even just saying put some moisturiser on your vagina while you're in these breastfeeding years. And especially when they stop freaking out that they've got a prolapse it's amazing how quickly their symptoms go away and I'm not saying it's in their head but when you feel something you can catastrophize that so much until someone just looks in the vagina and you're like it's all good oh sweet everything feels fantastic (laughs) now because it's a scary place your vagina after birth like you barely look at it before birth and then after you've just got you know that awful joke of um, what, what did he say? Robin Williams said once, "Watching your wife give birth is equivalent to watching your favorite pub burn to the ground." You know, like there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of positive body image that goes on after you've had a baby. Or women are like, "I'm scared it's going to look like minced meat." And just so rarely do I see a postnatal vagina that is like well I've really barely ever see any sort of vulva or vagina that's just disgusting they all look so different and just some are a bit more open than others but yeah never ever ever have I seen minced meat or a burnt down
1: vagina when I've done an assessment. It's definitely something that plays on women's mind and um, that kind of brings us to the thing of this topic being quite taboo to talk about and the rate being low for people, women getting checked and um, and why that is. You were saying earlier before we started recording about the origin of the word vagina. And I think right now is a really good time to chat about it. Can you tell us where the term comes from? Absolutely. So we were just discussing
0: this at my work yesterday and um, the Latin origin of vagina was made in the late 17th century and the word vagina literally meant sheath, which is a sheath of a sword. So meaning it, that its only importance was to hold something in it and that was it. And then the original of the word pudenda, which is um In textbooks, usually the vulva, vagina, anus for a woman is the pudenda. And then for males, it would be like the testicles and the penis. But the word pudenda is from the Latin word of pudere, which is to be ashamed. So I'm not saying that's how we feel of it now. But as in, it's very difficult for women to come from this like long line of systemic your vagina is literally a shield to hold a sword or, and it's something to be ashamed of. So there's so many great positive things out there now for women's bodies, especially on Instagram and for all sorts of social media. But yeah, it will take a long time for women to be able to talk like, Hey, to the, by the way, I'm feeling this really weird bulge. Like what about you guys over a glass of rosé on a good Sunday afternoon? But it's happening more and more, I think
1: <laughs> that absolutely blew my mind when you told me that before. I just cannot even yeah, I just can 't believe that 's where it even came from, and then it 's funny that you said about chatting about it over a glass of wine. I um was very lucky that my very close friend is a midwife, and so we had lots of conversations, and I remember towards the end of my birth, it starts getting already changing down there and getting very swollen. And I remember thinking, have I already got a prolapse now? And I checked with her and I was like, can you get a prolapse like when you're pregnant? And she sort of just said, you know, things change. It started to get a bit swollen. And um I was like, oh, okay, that's, it, you know, just yeah. oh, good. feel better <laughs> now. That's probably nothing. We'll, we'll continue on. Um, well, also like the
0: vagina is... I mean, and the pelvic floor, I mean, it's it's part of your body. It's got the exact same inflammatory response. It's got the exact same response to injury. So, you know, if you fell, fall down the stairs and roll your ankle, you're not going to be surprised that your ankle's blown up and you can't walk on it it's a bit sore. Yet, you know, you push out a giant watermelon from your vagina, which you've never done before, and then you're like, oh my god, it looks different. It's like, no shit. It's like, just done the like most unreal thing ever, and it's definitely sore. It's definitely injured. You just need to give that time to recover, and especially like one thing that's quite hard is with the the six week. everyone you know, it's like, oh, I'm six weeks. So you know, I I had sex because it was six weeks. I'm like, yeah, but did you want to? Like, did you feel ready? It's like, oh, and that's like a second thought than it is a first thought. But um. Thought I'd just test it out, which you'd never kind of you know footballers do their ACL and they're they're out for the season, you know there's not this like oh, you're six weeks, and you go now like, well, but um,
1: yeah, so it's still it's like any other part of your body, yeah, that's a really interesting point that you've brought up um, about that being an afterthought of like, oh yeah, did I really want to? was I really ready? there's definitely um it feels like a, an expectation or something that we need to quickly. <laughs> jump back on the horse so to say um, but yeah so afterwards you you do need that recovery period and obviously um in all of this it's not to say um get a c-section either because we can we are very um we're we're designed to vaginally give birth um so it's just uh, some things that we can do afterwards and things to be aware of um but, yeah, it can be very swollen and uncomfortable for a while. So when is it a good time or when would you recommend waiting until they come see a women's health physio?
0: Oh, six weeks. Um, six weeks because of remodelling, like tissues will be start to getting healed and we can have a look and we know that we're early on so we're like, look, this is this. And just for the education, they'll start to kind of want to start walking and do, you know, like what should I do? Can I just jump back to the C-section comment? Because I completely agree with design. But there's no shame as well towards C-section. I know you would agree with this too. And um, some there's a reason why I think it's like one in 10,000 women die in childbirth in Australia, but one in 11 die in Africa, because we've got health professionals that are, like, are able to give this sort of informed consent of like, look, your baby's this size, you're this size, or um what's another one luck like is in v-back as well I think it's great to do v-back but also to be aware that you're more at kind of more risk through the evidence that we've got now of sustaining an injury so we're definitely more designed but the design of birth is still not the best design for a human body ever <laughs> like you thought nine months of sitting something very heavy on just this one little hammock of muscles that we've got Um, so I think informed consent is so important in giving birth because one, you don't need a thousand people looking up your vagina the whole time. And two, um, it is, I think more people get caesareans because they're scared because they don't actually know that they can give birth. But then I also think there's this big drive to like, I want to do everything naturally and be great but they should have had a C-section and then they've now got all these very long-term, very, very sad, sad injuries that are very hard to fix um, even surgically afterwards. So having a doctor that you really, really love and aspire to and just have complete trust or a physio or a pharmacist, there's someone that knows a lot in this field and a midwife, obviously, um, that can be like your just give you all the facts and then you can go with the choice you want. But yeah, sorry, that was my little soapbox about C-section versus vaginal birth.
1: I think that's important. And I think um, out of all of that is the main takeaway from that is that it is making the best choice for you and yourself and making an informed choice. So you're right. There's no shame in having a C-section and there shouldn't be the pressure of having to do a natural birth. I think more where the issue lies is that there's still a lot of fear-based stuff around giving birth. And so women can sometimes maybe not feel like they can do a vaginal birth because of fear put into them or from a fear from a doctor's point of view, they might have had a certain bunch of births go wrong and they've got a certain take on it as well. So then they're putting their fear on that woman and then she's making her choice based off of the doctor's fear instead of her own informed decision. Yeah, so it's really um, looking at the individual person and letting them gather all their information from a midwife, from a physio, from a, or from wherever trusted source that they actually want to seek the information from and making that informed choice. So. I'm glad you touched on that because I think it is an important one. So let's jump back into um, sex. So I want to chat to you about, um, yeah, getting back into sex because this is a big thing for women after having a baby. What's it going to feel like? Um, It can be very nerve-wracking. The vagina might be dry, it might be swollen, um, yeah. Totally. So,
0: I mean, like not only after you give birth but a lot of women just We don't know a lot about sex because we weren't given that great sex education at school, especially us millennials. Um, You know, we'll just, this is the alien of the uterus and the fallopian tubes, and then this is gonorrhea. (laughs) You know, that was pretty much mine. But um, it's so, as in, when I talk about sex, it's all about, it's not just something in vagina, you know, hand in vagina or penis in vagina um sex is about satisfaction so with um so maybe before they got pregnant if they were always having sex and just like yeah yeah cool and then straight away it was just intercourse sort of sex like internal sex and they can't really do that anymore because they're like oh god it feels awful I don't like it but maybe their whole life they've never really known so much about foreplay or getting into full arousal before you even do any sort of intercourse, doing all these outer course different things to feel more desire, more arousal. Because with design arousals when we start to get increased sensitivity and better lubrication. And that was all fine before, but now when you've got a baby, you've got some form of like there's been some injury to the pelvic floor, even if it's a cesarean, you've got like this. Thing, comfort of a scar or maybe you've still got the you've got a little bit of a body image issue now because your body looks a bit different your boobs are these rocks and they're sore and they're leaking and you might also be incontinent. you're like I don't even know what's leaking but something's leaking so yeah it's it's obviously a really stressful thing to go back to sex I reckon after having a kid um and with stitching as well, so if you've had any sort of perineal tear, so that's a tear from the opening of the vagina down towards the anus, and they're also in different levels. So you've got level one, which is just um, into a bit of the perineum, level two, which is more than 50%, level three, which is going into the external anal sphincter, and level four, which is external anal sphincter and internal, and that's, that's a real bummer of a tear, but... You can get over them too, but so let's say you've had a tan, you've needed a stitch. There's not even a lot of information. You know, they're like, "Oh, I stitched you up nice and tight." Off you pop, and you think that's great, but now you've got all these pain after, and it's just awful. And you don't know how long the stitches are supposed to be in there for. So, I've had some women where the stitches are still there, like four months after. You know, I can still feel them when I do an internal. You can just feel this tiny little prick. So. Obviously, if you've got that, you're not going to, you know, you're like, I'm more, I'm still feeling these stitches. I don't feel sexy in any way and um, I don't want to have sex. So that's completely fine too. Or the body image stuff of like the boobs or maybe you feel some heaviness in your pelvic floor so you're scared you've got a prolapse and you don't know what that feels like. And any form of chatter in your brain stops your sexual response. So that means you're going to have less arousal, less desire um, it's pretty much a break to the sex system when you're starting to think any sort of thoughts in your head. So returning to sex after giving birth um is a scary thing and that's fine to feel scared. But tips of making it more enjoyable that I give is like make sure you are aroused and it's not quick. So their evidence states that women take twenty minutes to get aroused. So that's You know, 20 minutes of foreplay, of kissing, of cuddling, of any sort of like clitoral stimulation, massage, anything. 20 minutes is the average, which is long. Even when I read that, and I think I'm quite sex positive, I'm like, gee. 20 minutes just before foreplay like that
1: <laughs> Do you know what it's even longer if you have a baby who you put down for bed and you know that they're going to wake up in another half an hour or an hour and you're like 20 minutes oh my
0: god absolutely and that sort of chatter in your brain that's not helping is it you're like oh my god are they going to wake up now they're going to wake up now so um when I tell people that that's sometimes quite exciting but a lot of them are like what and then um after I just say, and lube, lube's your best friend. Like you don't have a lot of estrogen. If you were someone that was like wicked and wet before, you're just not going to be that girl anymore. Get some good quality lubricant and um, that will be a way to enjoy it because you know what to expect and you've got obviously the most comfortable relationship with your partner and they should be able to, you know, want to do whatever you want, whatever. you've. It's your time. You're in control you've got all the support. But um, I had a patient and it stuck with me forever. And she actually lives in the Southwest. That's when I was working there. And she said, foreplay starts in the morning. If my husband hasn't brought me a cup of tea in bed, he's definitely not getting his dick sucked that night. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny about foreplay. Because like it is, there's just no way if you're like you know, if you've been dealing with the baby all day, they come home and you've cooked in and you've done that and they're like, should we try it? It's like, are you, are you kidding? Like I've had no time today to even think of that. Like a no.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. Yeah, definitely I know. you're having someone hanging off your boob all day um, and, you, or, or, and all night as well sometimes. Sometimes bubs feeding all night long, all day, crying and all sorts of things, dishes, shit everywhere, and then they stroll on in. So we're gonna have, have sex tonight, and you're like right. I think I'm gonna go to bed.
0: <laughs> Better sounds hard. I haven't had a baby, but waking in this industry isn't that great for someone who hasn't had a kid because it doesn't, doesn't rock your socks off to want to go straight into it. But I guess <laughs> I know everything to expect.
1: Well, it's very rewarding. Very, very rewarding. So yeah, I bet life-changing, obviously. Um So, okay, so we've touched on sex um, after birth. What about um, incontinence? We sort of briefly talked about incontinence. Um, Can we dive a little bit more into that? Um, I think women probably start experiencing a bit of that incontinence during pregnancy as um, bub is bouncing up and down on their bladder like it's a trampoline. Um, So, yeah, what about afterwards? What are some things that we maybe can do to help with um, reducing our risk of incontinence?
0: So I would say risk of incontinence after birth, um, all these sorts of like reducing risk after birth, you can be the best woman ever and be so diligent with everything you want to do and just be blessed with the most Godforsaken birth ever and you may still get a prolapse. So I think as well it's just allowing whatever happened will happen. Yeah. In saying that, I think um, so incontinence is the leakage of, you know, stool, feces or bladder or urine. So if we're talking about urinary incontinence from the bladder, that does start quite commonly during pregnancy. And as you said, your abdominal space is being taken up by this baby. So the space for the bladder to fill gets a lot less. So your bladder capacity reduces plus the force that's hanging down now on your pelvic floor is increased because you've got a lot more weight. So the muscles are more stretched. So it's more difficult for them to be able to contract and be quick when they're at um, a stretched position. So like a weight feels heavier when you've got an arm stretched out than it does with your arm close to your chest. It's the same weight, but just the position of your muscles are different. So um So the most common one you get during pregnancy is stress urinary incontinence. So that's incontinence of the bladder with um, any sort of external force on the bladder. So that's like a cough, a sneeze, a bend forward, a sit to stand, and you leak on them. Um, So ways to reduce this risk without, you know, if you have the perfect pregnancy, would be to make sure you know what your pelvic floor muscles are and um, start doing pelvic floor muscle exercises during pregnancy but also I think um, to to have like to be really empowered about what the birth is going to be like as well because I think that reduces any sort of fear towards birth and being stressed out and not wanting to push and maybe contracting your muscles too much and then the baby has to force its way through where if you're really informed in what birth's going to be you've got a good birth plan you're feeling in control I just believe the body reacts a bit of a better way that's got no evidence in it by the way I just think any knowledge is power and I, I know that they do that a lot I mean hypnobirth I've had there's obviously a lot of um that's more of the alternative way but I do think all my clients that have undergone a lot of birth training and the hypno birth training as well, they just have less bad, bad outcomes with normal sort of births because they just surrender to their body to do what it needs to do, as opposed to like a lot of fear, a lot of tension um, to sustain an injury. So then after birth, um, it's also super, super, super common. Straight away to have stress urinary incontinence because if you think about it, back to the analogy of like rolling an ankle, your your pelvic organs have gone through mass injury because they have been really stretched beyond what is it like ten times or hundred times more than it's supposed to, and um, so they're injured. So if you think of like a knife, if you think of a piece of paper folded eight times and then bent into a U shape. And you kind of put your hand on top of that paper, that's a nice firm support. Where if you take that paper away and you only have it, you don't have it folded, and then you cuff it like a taco in a U-shape again, it's a lot more floppy on top. So that's your muscles that have been stretched so much end up being a lot thinner. And because, like I was saying before, holding a weight with an arm out straight it um, makes it feel very heavy. So that ability to get all the muscle fibres in and do a good contraction around at the front, around the urethra to stop any sort of wee, it's just not going to be as fast and not going to be as strong as it was before you had a baby. So sometimes, I mean, most of the time that will get better when you give it that time for it to heal and the muscles start to get thicker again and you Bring it on. But after six weeks, if you're still experiencing that quite a bit, then a pelvic health assessment is perfect because I can be like, oh, look, you're actually not contracting these muscles very well. We're going to give you an individualized program to do so. And also a lot of girls don't know how to contract their pelvic floor muscles. I mean, for guys, it's easy. You can just like look in the mirror and contract and you see movement. You know you're doing it. Where for women, you're doing something and you feel something and you're like, cool, that's it. But there was um, the woman who started the master's course at Curtin Uni, Drew's Thompson, when she was a new graduate, so a few years ago. She did her first PhD paper on um, how... 40%, I believe, 40% of women that think they're contracting their pelvic floor are actually bearing down on their pelvic floor. So that's a huge amount of girls that are doing the complete opposite of what a lift is. So it's like bend your elbow and 40% of women straighten it. You just think, well, that's stupid. But it's not because we just don't know and you've done something and you associate that feeling with the lift. And so that's quite hard to then, um, yeah, change your entire ability to wire your nerves into telling what the muscles are supposed to do um so that takes a
1: lot of training you can tell that by the ultrasound that you do or do you tell that by the internal oh yeah good point so i mean from
0: both from both completely so the real-time ultrasound the transabdominal one we it's like what the scans you get when you're pregnant So you have to have a little bit of urine in your bladder so that we can at least see the bladder and it's this big black blob. And if I say contract your pelvic floor, I should see that bladder lifting up and then relax your pelvic floor. I should see that bladder going back to its starting point. Um, And same if we're doing a vaginal exam, I'm obviously palpating the muscles. So I'll say contract and I should feel the muscle move and then relax and I should feel it go. But for some reason... For some people that is like a contract and they push down or especially especially in the 80s you know it's all those um online aerobic exercise and pelvic floor pelvic floor was just like drawing your tummy squeeze your bum you know and that's actually not at all the pelvic floor they're all the surrounding muscles so a lot of those women when I say contract your pelvic floor <laughs> go like that and if you think if you do it when you Bring in your tummy muscles, and squeeze your bum. You're actually pushing down, yeah. you're bearing down. It's like you're forcing out a poo sort of thing. So it's um that's not not the way we do it either. Um, so I will tell women how to do that. But or some girls just literally can't activate it. They just haven't ever done it in their life. They never needed to. They've had great fascial support, great tone of their muscles all over. And then they've had a baby and I'm like, contract the pelvic floor and there's just nothing. And they're like, am I doing it? I'm like, well, do you feel anything? And they know they're not doing it because they're like, I feel nothing, but I just thought maybe I was one of those people. So they're the trickiest because you can do all the cueing in the world. Like imagine you're drawing up a pee in your wee hole. Imagine you're drawing – imagine you're trying to like lift a weight or – using a straw and you're sucking up a juice, like any sort of lift, and then relaxing back down. You've got to really let it go um, and you get nothing. So in those instances, we might use um, like an e-stim, which is an electrical stimulation, which is a little vaginal probe that we can pop in the vagina and that will use um, electrical stimulation to actually do a contraction. So so that helps them feel well, then they get a sensation and they're like, oh, what's that? And they'll they'll feel that movement and it actually makes the muscles move. So then you keep, you then use your brain to say, right, contract up, but the thing does it for you, but they think they're doing it and relax back down. And the more they practice it, they'll get that
1: nerve. Um, does that hurt?
0: Uh, it doesn't hurt, but I had one girl that used it and it was just, you know, you pop it in, you feel something and it's like a bit scary and you're like, ah but its not it isn't it doesn't hurt it just it's like um a very 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 intense vibration that makes your muscle move
1: won't give anyone an orgasm if they're worried <laughs>
0: No, no, no. It's inside the <laughs> vagina, not on yeah. <laughs> just to clarify, just in okay. case. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a dildo, no. no.
1: <laughs> and also just to clarify, the pelvic floor muscle is a muscle, so it can be strengthened when it's worked, worked out. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I will um, Yes, the way we assess with strength as well is we see what's the ability of this pelvic floor to turn on quickly. So some women, they turn it on, but it's like this, and it's on, and then it's off, which is no good if you've got a cough bit coming. It's like, and you've only gone to halfway up or even a quarter of the way up. So for them, it's like, right, we need to work on coordination. We need to work on speed. And then um, the other way we assess is just from Um, feeling the pressure on our finger when we're contracting up. So it's out of five, which is the Oxford scale. So just a one out of five is a flicker. A two out of five is they can do it, but with not even against gravity. Like you can just feel a little bit of movement, but nothing. A three is they can do it the whole range, but you can easily push it back down with your finger. Like it's got no strength to go against the weight of your finger. And then a four is, stronger than that and a 5 is just really strong i can't move it it's there so i'll give it a sound and that's that's referring to the power of the muscle so how much weight it can lift and then the other thing is the endurance and um i'll ask them to lift and hold for as long as i can and this i'm not just looking at the muscle itself of how long it can be on for but also are they contracting it and you know holding their throat, holding their breath, widening their chest, what's the quality of the contraction? Because again, we're not gonna walk around holding our pelvic floors with our breath held the whole time. Um, so teaching the coordination of actually being able to hold the pelvic floor while you can talk, while you can walk, while you can do everything, and then um just a general assessment of muscle tone. So Muscle tone is a muscle's readiness to contract. So people with low tone are quite floppy and squishy. Like at the moment, my tummy, I would say, is a bit low tone, but I'm working on it to get it nice and high tone. And then then high tone is like you see a six-pack sort of thing. You've got guys at the gym. They've got high tone. It looks like they're flexing, but that's just what they're like at resting. So that's a high tone. And the goal is if you've got a nice, strong, high tone, not too high tone because that will give you pain, but a nice, strong pelvic floor with good, thick, resting tone, that acts as a nice floor so you've got good support underneath for those pelvic organs and that's the idea. But, yeah, if it goes too much the other way, and this is, again, what you see, and especially with um, the more anxious women, that are going into birth and they do heaps of pelvic floor exercises and so much and they're like, oh, I can't feel much, I must be weak, so I'm going more and more and more. And usually that's associated with they've got pain with intercourse or any other sort of persistent pain. They're people that are too high-toned, so they think they're contracting, but let's say they're already at 75% and they're going from 75 to 100% contraction, but because it feels little, they're associating that with only lifting 25%. Mm-hmm. So they associate that with being weak going from zero to 25 so that's one where if you've got pain and you think you're weak usually you're too high toned and that's why going to a getting a vaginal exam is better than just a real-time ultrasound because like I was saying before all we see is is the muscle able to lift the bladder or drop the bladder but it doesn't tell us like oh the muscle's actually already sitting at quite high and if you just had a physio that only knew how to do that and they're like oh there's not a lot of movement we need to make this much stronger you're doing a lot more detriment to that woman than you are because a lot of women need to relax a lot of us where our lives are hectic with or without kids just everything's hectic so we don't actually have a lot of time just to be like where is my resting and I just think as well again not a study but you can tell high tone, lots of neck pain. They look like this. I'm like, I bet you've got a, bet you've got a tight pelvic floor. <laughs> I like, like, hold my stress in my neck. I'm like, and your vagina,
1: but you know, it's so funny that you said that because, um, yeah, you definitely do hold stress in certain parts of your body, and yeah, I had never really thought of that, but yes, of course, you would hold stress in your vagina. They did an
0: EMG study and showed that the muscle that was first to contract with fear was actually your pelvic floor. So when you saw something, the first part of the body to contract was your pelvic floor.
1: I'm glad you touched on the difference between the ultrasound and the internal because I have heard of many women who, if I have a chat about them, did you get an assessment done after or have you had an assessment done after birth? And they said, yeah, they looked on the ultrasound and that was it. And you've just clarified there that that is limited to what it is showing you. If a woman is looking at coming to see you or speak with a women's health physio, what's the first, um, first visit? Like if they're fearful of it, can they come and just have a chat and get a plan or totally it's not like go in there and straight away. They're having an internal.
0: (laughs) No, no. Nick is up. Um, no. So the majority of the first appointment is talking and, um, and that is because there's so much information you can get just for a subjective assessment. And like I said, there's, it goes from how much do you go to the toilet for your weed? Do you leak with your weed? Do you find it hard to do a wee Do you feel sensation in your bladder feeling? And then that's like just for the bladder. Then we've got like for products. Then we've got for bowels. And then it's like what's your sex life? So, and a lot of them, because they're personal, you go out on tangents all the time. And, you've got to build a good rapport with a woman if you're going to get them to take their knickers off, you know. So, again, there is so much about talking. And especially after the, um, I was like, what was it? it? was COVID, the pandemic. What's blowing up is telehealth. And pelvic health physio has actually been pretty good with um pelvic health because uh, so much of it is behavioural change. And um, you can just be talking to a girl and they're like oh it's just i find it really hard to weigh like i can't empty i don't know what it is and then this and we just talk about maybe you're not actually like allowing those pelvic floor to relax and you give them some tips and they do it and they're fixed or i mean that's a very easy example but even um there's just so much you can find out and so much you can help just through a conversation so if you're going to see a pelvic health physio You definitely don't need to be um, getting a vaginal exam on the first call. I've got lots of patients that haven't done a vaginal exam yet. However, um, you also most likely will be subjected to a vaginal exam, but only when you're ready. We're not going to say, "Oh, it's the only thing we can do. You've got no other choice. Get on the bed," because we, by law, have to get consent and we know so much and in the southwest it's so hampered on about which is great and about the lack of informed consent during um childbirth and that's that's something that I even I was shocked by going into this field is I didn't know how many women had so much trauma after childbirth from just people doing internals coming in without knocking um Saying you need this, not getting good education into what sort of birth they want, not getting good pain relief, and um, that was really, really, really sad and shocking for me. And a lot of them um, didn't, wouldn't go have a second baby because of their experience with the first one, being rushed off to a hospital after a and like Perth Hospital after having postpartum hemorrhage, and yeah, it's just so sad. But um, it's very good. Um, like postnatal psychologists in the southwest too that have a massive caseload of these women as well. But why was I going on that tangent? Informed consent. So you can say no to a physio from doing a vaginal exam. You can say no to anybody for doing a vaginal exam. It's your body. And like we were discussing at the beginning, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than a woman being like, oh, I've had a baby. I've got no dignity anymore. And I'm like, oh, but you should. Like it's yours. It's your vagina. It's, you know, you definitely, just because you had a kid doesn't mean you're not, it's not your body anymore. Yep. Um, so, yes, we can do lots of talking if you don't want to get your knickers off. That's fine. I love to talk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a great talk. Thank you so much for diving into all of that stuff. Um, I think each of these topics can probably be expanded on even further. Um, if somebody is wanting to get in touch with you at the moment, you're in Adelaide, um, but you will be back in the southwest soon. So how can they find you, um, social media or something like that?
0: Yes, um, I do have an Instagram account called fempower_physiotherapy. Power underscore physiotherapy. Haven't been using it much lately, but I still get notifications if people um, message me. So that's really good. Otherwise, I'll be back working at Latitude Physiotherapy, which is in Bass. Um And yeah, so I'll be there and I'll be there back in end of July, August. So
1: Fantastic! You can see me soon. Awesome! I will put all those links in the show notes so people can find you easily. And thank you so much again for your time. No worries, Alex. Thanks for this. It was a lot less stressful than I thought. But so yeah, thanks for
0: getting the word out. It's so important.
1: It is. It really is. Thank you. Everyone,
0: see you.
1: Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show
0: was brought to you by Batika Co.